Welcome to Threads of Enlightenment, your journey into personal growth. The splendor of any decision is after you've made it, all that remains to be seen are its consequences. My name is Ken Primus. I am your host. Here at Threads of Enlightenment, we talk about the principles of self-development and personal growth. By having conversation with people, who have walked through their journey of personal growth. We believe that everyone at some point in their life will have to deal with one or more of these principles to have the privilege of focusing on their self-development as humans. These principles, when applied, can help you to become the best self possible. Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. As usual, I absolutely believe that when we have our guests that they show up with very things, uh, a couple of things that I deem very expensive. And I want to first of all thank Genevieve for coming because I know time to me is very, very precious. I have learned how to utilize it and how to gain and use it as my friend. And I thank you that you're here to spend some of that precious commodity with us here at Threads of Enlightenment. The other is your journey. It houses pain. It houses wisdom. It houses freedom, power, all of it. It houses you. And we want to thank you for coming to share with us that precious journey that is you and how you overcame. Thank you so much for visiting us at Threads of Enlightenment. Well, thank you for this invitation, Ken. Thank you so much. Why don't you go ahead and let the people know those things that you have created today by which they can reach you, uh, whatever format that is. I know books and all of those things. Tell them about everything you have given birth as a result of your journey. Sure. I would be happy to. Um, Well, my journey started out on on one path and um, switched 12 years into a career to a totally different path, a more purposeful path um, because of an aha moment. So the, the, the book that I've just written, Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas, is about that journey, which I know we'll talk about. I speak about finding purpose because that's what happened through that mm-hmm. aha moment. Purpose I never thought I would find. I thought only a few lucky souls on this earth had found a true purpose. The rest of us were, would have a job and, you know, be be happy enough if we enjoyed it. But we all have a purpose. So so that's mm-hmm. what I speak on. So I speak to groups and corporations about finding purpose at your job or somewhere else, but how important it is to follow your heart, discover your purpose and, and how the human connection works into that. And I help people um individuals uh, with consultations on helping them find their purpose or finding their next chapter. So many of us like me have gone through a decade or more doing a job until something clicks in us. It says, this was not what I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not enough. And that journey is sometimes, you know, confusing. And I help people to, to sort that out and I help companies sort out how to lead with purpose, leaders and and, um, their employees and their teams, how to work together toward not just the bottom line, but toward a purpose that they all agree to. So that's, in a nutshell, my turnaround. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just showed me how to be a better global citizen, how to be a better leader, and all because I found my purpose unexpectedly. Yeah, I have a saying that I tell people, uh, finding your purpose will make you purposeful. And Mm -hmm. uh, when you get there and you live from that space, it is a space of power. It is a place of peace. It is a place of joy. All of those things are housed there. And once you've located your purpose, there's nothing like being and feeling the power of being purposeful. So here we go. I know you call it the aha moment. I call it the day of our visitation. 
And we usually live life until. And when that day comes, it's a beautiful day. But let us go back a little further than that day and introduce us to you. I tell people that the first place that tries to or begins our programming, uh, because uh, we are little computers, uh, when we, we have a couple of entities that um, love to do that. Uh, we have the family, of course. We have religion. We have uh, educational system. We have cooperation. We have society as a whole. We have cultures. All of these things and entities love to assist with the programming of you and I. Talk to me about your family. I call that first place Genevieve, I call it the lab because we have these scientists called parents that are based on the trauma that they both experienced in life, perceive the world based on that. And they then began to deposit into you and I their belief, their information, the way that we should be or behave. How was your family unit? Um, well, that's a very um important part of my journey because my family raised me first of four um, in a very Catholic Italian family, my father off the boat from Italy. So mm-hmm. it was a very, very um, Italian upbringing. It was um, very strict. I was expected to get good grades. My father came to America so that he would find um, a wife and children and give them an education. So I had to go to college and then I also was very aware of their traditional love of family and how it was right up there with, you know, mm-hmm. getting an education to get married and have children, have grandchildren, um, maybe make some money, probably be supported by a man. So it was a very, um, a very clear path for me if I took it. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, I didn't feel that way. I had a different, yeah, I was a, I was marching to a different drummer, my, my own as the firstborn. I saw my life going in a different direction. I wanted independence and mm-hmm. I wanted uh, a career and I wanted to take care of myself first. And then if I met someone that would be great. Children weren't um, my priority growing up or, you know, when I was in college and looking for a job. So going against the tide was not easy for me or for my parents. You know, they expected mm-hmm. a lot because I was the firstborn and the rest would, they probably thought, follow suit. And they were yeah. very afraid when they saw me going in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the only one that went in that direction. So I think that they're very happy <laughs> that the other three went in the direction that they had paved. But, you know, everything is good now. But it was it was tricky to get through those years of me uh, rebelling. Let me ask you a question. Um, where did you think you got that from? Because was it from someone outside, maybe a family member or a relative or something like that? Or did you have that from the inside where you, as a young uh, child, this... Um, rebelliousness, if you will, as you said, um, was that a part of you from that? Or did you saw the independence outside from someone else that attracted to you and made you go, I like that? Well, you know, my mom tells the story. And of course, I don't remember because I was about a year, but Mm -hmm. she laughs when she tells the story that when I was the only child early on before she had my brother and my other sister and my brother, (laughs) (laughs) that she would put me in the crib and go and try to do her daily tasks, you know, and, and that was, she was a stay at home mom and a wife. So she would be in another part of the room. And within seconds, she'd see me standing there. Somehow (laughs) I got out of the crib and she'd think, okay, I didn't put the latch down. I didn't lock it. And she put me back in the crib, go about her, her chores. And then there I was. Mm -hmm. And she said, I was so determined to get out of that crib. I wasn't crying. I didn't want anything. I mm-hmm. just managed to get out. And she says that's where it started. So I don't remember any other signs until I was about, I guess, 12 or so when, and I would watch TV, my favorite shows. And one of them was Mary Tyler Moore show. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be that Mary Richards character, that independent producer 
in a big city. So wow. between finding a way out of my out of my um, um, crib at one year one years old to seeing this independent woman on TV and wanting to be her, uh, I, I guess it's part part innate and part you know what I observed on on this TV show. Wow, that's fascinating though. You were at one years one year old and you have your critical thinking skills began to develop. Uh, you have your determination beginning to develop and the independence also beginning to develop. That is some powerful tools that an individual uh, human being can bring to the table even starting at such a young age. So I'm curious about how you utilize that in your life. Okay, you're watching TV, you see this, because I love Tiram, uh, um, the show as well, and I used to watch it with my mom when I came over to the United States as well. And um, now you are this woman, you saw that, and you wanted to be that. Talk to me now as to, because I know it's going to be interesting, how was your relationship to your father um, he being the stalwart in the old ways, if you wish, and your mom, who is uh, an observer watching this young uh, uh, baby, this young girl, uh, show signs of independence. How did you fit into that? How did you begin to navigate in that space? Well, it started when I wanted to live at college. Mm -hmm. And... That was a, a big uh, bone of contention. My parents didn't understand why I would want to live at a college that I chose. It was minutes away, literally 15, 20 minutes away. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't let me go out of state. So they gave me some choices and I picked one that I ended up loving, but it was 15, 20 minute drive and I wanted to live there. Mm -hmm. And they were so upset, very upset. I was leaving the nest. I was leaving everybody else. Now this wheel had one less cog. And what will my brother and sisters say? What will the their community say? You know, why would I want to do that? It was really, I was shocked at how yes. much resistance and how personal they took it. And I kept saying, I just want to be, I just want to fly. I just want to be yeah. independent. I, I have this path I see for myself. And it's not against you. It's just for something I'm looking for, something I want to fulfill. And it took a while. It took a while um, for them to let me stay at college. Then it was in the girls' dorm. Mm -hmm. And then even when I graduated, they expected me to come home until I got a job. And I had my bags packed. And I said, I'm going right to an apartment I rented. And they were shocked wow. again. And we went through it all over again. Mm -hmm. Of course, in time and not too too much longer, my mother started helping me find a place um, to buy after I rented. Yeah. She she came around; they both did, and mm -hmm. then grew to be proud. But it was it was very very difficult. How did that? How did you react to that? What what's your um, being difficult? I can imagine, but the tenseness. How did you uh, manage that? How did you get them to? Um, relent, if you will, um, and your discussion. How was that aligned? Well, I think what helped was that I, I wasn't pulling away totally. I mean, I would still go over a lot. I was mm -hmm. part of the family. You know, when we were teenagers, we weren't in the house a lot anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I think by making sure that I was around and by keeping them updated on everything I was doing and I was doing mm -hmm. well, they were yeah. happy about that. I think they came to see that their friends didn't judge, didn't mm -hmm. think there was anything wrong. I think they, they realized it was all in their or their imagination that I was pulling yeah. away and that I didn't want to be with them. That wasn't the case. And I, and I think that they saw that. And ultimately, they didn't want this rift to last. They, yeah, they didn't. Yeah. You know, I think they were just hoping that I would relent and, um, you know, and, and say home. And when I didn't, I think, you know, I think they, they just slowly softened. What field did you choose and why? I chose communications and marketing and, and the entertainment business because of Mary Tyler Moore, because I wanted that exciting life. <laughs> wow, mm. that's really fascinating that you would take that and not, um, not look at the, the actor part of it, 
but um, gravitated to business, which is really fascinating that you perceived it that way. So you picked school, you picked the, uh, you convinced your family that all is well and you're in school doing well. How did you, um, what did you do with your independence, if you will, and how did you feel as an individual doing that and experiencing your independence? I felt empowered. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say it wasn't frightening to be on my own and to see, you know, I, I had a mortgage and I was responsible for it 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was strange to come home to a, a quiet, dark apartment. You know, I mean, all of that was was challenging at times, but for the most part, I really, I really enjoyed it. I really relished mm-hmm. being able to make decisions that I felt were right for me. I loved the freedom. Yeah. Um, I loved, you know, the the camaraderie in that business that I chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I loved being, um, you know, being able to do what I wanted and to make money so that I could share it with the people that I loved. I I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be dependent on my family or on a man or on anybody. I wanted everyone to be able to, you know, to be with me and share in what I was doing, both the financial aspect and, you know, some of the exciting things I was doing and places I was going that, that, you know, I invited them to. So I, I loved that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's great because I remember you said something about uh, depending on a man. I remember my mom telling my sisters the same thing um, that uh, make their life purpose not to to be dependent on a man, and so that they will gain their independence. Um, and uh, my, both my sisters pushed through to do that, and and they still talk about that from my mom. Uh, so here you are, this successful woman. Uh, pursuing and doing the things that she wants. She's getting everything. She's in that, uh, the business arena and going, talk to me about some of the um, lessons because I know business, in business arena, you you get a chance to learn a lot. You get to learn about yourself even so because um, uh, your limits and, and your expectations that are placed on you within that corporate America field. Um how did you manage that relationship with your coworkers and your responsibility as a professional woman that is um, in charge and enjoying her freedom? How did you manage all of that? Well, a lot of what I was building was my leadership skills, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I had lots of role models. Now, Looking back, leadership was looks much different 20, 25 years ago than it's looking now and that it's going to be looking soon with the changes that are happening in the yeah. workforce now. And so then it was pretty easy. You know, you had a boss and mm-hmm. you did what the boss wanted pretty much. You had some, you know, some lee- leeway depending on your position, but it was their dream. It was their vision. Yeah you weren't necessarily invited to sit at the table to say, let's visualize this together. What Mm -hmm. do you see? What can your contribution be? It was pretty much, this is your role. This is what's expected. And that's what I knew. That's Mm -hmm. how I grew up. That's what I expected. Um, That's what I knew. I did have one particular boss who had lots of, um, lots of great ideas and let me run with my ideas as well as his ideas. And, And we did brainstorm a lot. But, um, you know, I saw when I made my big change in life that I was a different leader than all of those leaders. And and I had to learn how to corral people for for my new venture. I had to learn how to be the visionary. And that was an incredible and still is an incredible experience. Yeah, I love those type experience. So how were you growing as an individual? I know you're achieving all the things that, quote unquote, people are, we are told that this is how we are supposed to be going. Moving forward, you come out of college, you got your money, you got the job. How were you as an individual internally um, 
looking at to that? Did you at any time began to question your your progress? I know you said that you had that aha moment, and I want to. I'm leading to there, <laughs> so that um, we can begin to delve into that. Talk to me about that aha moment. Let's go ahead, Genevieve. You're successful. What's going on in your life that would cause that moment to come up? Sure. Um, two aha moments. And the first one was mm-hmm. pivotal. I think I was very busy and I I did love my exciting job. I was traveling. Um, I had enough money to furnish my apartment, to, to go places. Um, I didn't have a lot of downtime and a lot of responsibility, a lot of goals. And one afternoon in this crazy busy life, when I was alone in my apartment, I heard a voice. I actually mm-hmm. heard a voice in me ask me a question. Mm-hmm. And I heard clearly the question, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? Mm-hmm. And can I tell you, it never occurred to me to have a, a doubt about my path. I thought this was it. Um, I, it was exciting. Yes, I was workaholic. Yes, I was mm-hmm. stressed and overworked and tired. But that question yeah. woke something up in me that was deeper than those, you know, those um, surface yeah. situations of being stressed and tired and, and worked. I realized that it, if I were to continue that way, it was more busyness than purposeful. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't anything meaningful mm-hmm. that went deep, deeper than a nice life. And I thought something in me realized that wouldn't that wouldn't be enough to continue this way. That there was something else, something missing. And that question really, really stopped me in my tracks. It scared me to think. What a gift! What have though, I been missing? Where did I go wrong? What a gift you but gave yourself! What a gift! You, what a gift you you your inner man! What a gift you give yourself! It's a beautiful, powerful question. Yes, I I know that. I knew that soon after, mm-hmm. um, and I realized that I had some digging to do. You know, yeah. some real alone time I needed to figure out why that question came and what it meant and what yeah. was I to do about it, if anything. Mm-hmm. And I realized that a lot of the traditional uh, growing up years that my parents offered was the, within the, that framework, there were a few things that I just didn't show interest in and, I, maybe I should re- revisit, and that was children. Mm-hmm. I knew in my situation, I I wasn't prepared to have my own children, but I also knew that was a missing piece in my life. Mm-hmm. I had godsons and nephews and a niece that I saw regularly, but there was something else there that I was missing. So I started to read in shelters mm-hmm. once a week at night, and I was blown away by how grounded I felt sitting on the floor of a, of a very bare room in an emergency shelter with children who had been taken there by police or social workers because of being treated so poorly and you yeah. know, traumatized. And the police and the social workers were trying to figure out next steps for these children. And there they were sitting on the floor listening to me tell a story just to keep them quiet and calm while they were taking care of, you know, paperwork and seeing how to keep these children safe in the, in the minutes of them arriving. And I felt so grounded and connected to them. And we didn't speak. They were, they were, some of them were crying. They were shocked. I could tell by their condition that they weren't well cared for. They were young. Mm -hmm. And week after week, I'd read stories to them and again in silence, but there was something that, that touched me, touched my heart and I felt connected to them. And one night I followed to see where they were going to sleep in the shelters at night. And the room I saw was, was also bare and, and they were huddled together on certain futons or couches. Some of them were crying. Their clothes were soiled and they were sleeping in the clothes they'd been brought into for who knows how long they'd been in those clothes. 
And I asked if I could bring pajamas because they were sleeping in the, in, they were sleeping in clothes. Yeah. And I brought pajamas the next week because the staff thought it was a great idea. People don't think about pajamas. And I read them stories and I handed out pajamas and a little girl was so afraid to take them from me. So afraid. She just said, no, no, no. And at the end, she watched me give them out. And at the end, I went back over to her and I knelt down and I tried one more time with the pair of pajamas I wanted her to have. And I had her touch them and feel how soft they were. Mm -hmm. And she whispered to me, what are pajamas? Wow. And that was the life-changing moment. The, the aha moment number two that changed everything. I just could not grasp how a child didn't know what pajamas were. We didn't live a wealthy life. Even the life I carved out for myself. I mean, I went paycheck to paycheck. I just spent my money. I wasn't a saver. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't so far removed from, you know, from knowing this existed. But the fact that she asked me this question just was like a, a knife in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I had to explain to a little girl that there are pajamas that she could have right here. She could sleep in and, and children sleep in pajamas. And it's just the whole thing just, just, you know, just messed, messed up my, my brain in the moment. And I just couldn't get over it from that moment. And now pajama program is 22 years old. We're national. We have 40 some chapters around the U S and I've already given 7 million pajamas and books to kids in this in this country alone because I grew to understand that love and comfort that we all crave and that thankfully I think most of us have from family members was missing in these in these children's hearts mm-hmm. and that's what they were really feeling when they got a pair of pajamas and and that was what I learned um, that pajamas and books and bedtime meant to these children. Yeah. It wasn't about the material of the pajamas. It was about not being forgotten. Let me ask you a question. How did you get from where you were because of a question that was you actually asked yourself? It's a, it's a deeper spiritual question that your, your inner being asked the other uh, uh, part of you, the busy part of you. How did that question get you to a... Um, uh, to go to uh, kids in that arena and not somewhere else. How did you end up there um, uh, to, to be with I kids? Stopped, I stopped listening to my head, which I'd been mm-hmm. used to following, and I and I listened to my heart. It was my heart that was speaking. And for some reason, some force in me, in partnership with God, Mm-hmm. or God, or source, whatever you want to call it. I grew up a Christian, so to me it was God. Yeah. Wanted wanted me to hear something, wanted me to feel something. Yeah. And in time I felt that, that this was mine to do now. And I knew I had a choice every step of the way, but my heart was pulling me very... I, I could feel the difference between, even now, I could feel the difference between my mind talking to me and my heart talking to me. Yeah. And my heart was just so loud after that little girl, that experience and that question, with yeah. that little girl, that I just couldn't ignore it. So it was, uh, once that question came and you went to these, um, I want to know, were you invited to go? to or did someone did you see someone that brought you to the shelter how did you end up from that question to a shelter not someplace else not to like maybe a church or someplace where other kids are for you to to be with why did what was it that you felt pulled you towards that arena versus anything else a million well, other locations that you could have kids. Well, when I knew, when I realized that it was children missing in my life, I, uh-huh. had, I remembered a recent story about a child being hurt mm-hmm. by the people who were supposed to take care of him. And I wondered, where did they take that child? Where oh, That okay. wasn't the first time I'd ever heard a story. So I called the police. Okay. And I said, where do you take these children? And they mm-hmm. gave me the name of a couple of shelters, one, the main one in New York city, which is an emergency shelter. 
every city has them. Yeah. And I called. I called the places. That is fascinating <laughs> to, um, as to how you were pulled to there. Because I believe, and I said this to people many times, um, the reason why we go through um, our journey, the reason why we are picked, we are picked, I believe we are picked, is because, as you stated, because I grew up a Christian, God saw our heart. And he saw something else. He saw the need. And because he saw the need and he knows our heart, he type, we go through our journey so that we can find our way and so we can find that match, the gift that resides within us. And when we get there, Genevieve, like you said, as you began to um, find your location, something, the changes get deeper. They get more... Um, you become more sensitive, you become more alive, you become more empathetic, you become more forgiving. Things begin to happen to you that um, unless you're there, sometimes it is hard to find the words to explain it, but you know what's going on and you're there just drinking this up and moving forward. So here you are, you've located yourself and you saw and you got your second visitation with that que that question when that young child came and what it did to you. Um, the first thing you did was you went out and you purchased the, um, the pajamas and stuff like that. Once you have done that, and I tell people this, um, Genevieve, that we make little, life is a, a, um, just statements of faith, I call it. We say things, like you said, I am going to go and buy um, these things. And then you will do the necessary steps to produce what you just said. When you were there and after you spent time with these young children and you saw the effect, what did it do to you internally? And what plans did you initiate to go, okay, I need, to, when, when did you start seeing those revelations as to the need and what can you do for the need? I just, I just followed what I wanted to do. I just followed my heart. I, I would, I wanted to bring more. So I would bring more. I mm -hmm. wanted to find more children and I mm -hmm. would ask and they would tell me and their friends who also were running other shelters and churches, like you said, and all the places yeah. where they're caring for these children would call me. I just kept following the path. Yeah. I trusted. It was very difficult for a lot of reasons. I, mm -hmm. I had to pay my mortgage. I had to keep my job. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't ask for help. I, I just took it on and it was more and more and it was a lot of work. And then I was trying to hide what I was doing from my bosses because it was taking my life over. But I, I was, there was no stopping. I mm -hmm. didn't want to stop. And I kept thinking I can do it all. I can do it all. And this was, this was more important. You know, mm -hmm. I knew I had to pay my rent, but it was more important. So I, I followed and I trusted it would work out. I didn't know it would become as big as it did. Mm -hmm. Um, and that changed things too, because then I had to tell people what I was doing. I had to ask for help yeah. and I had to make a life career decision. Yeah. But I just kept going. And, and, you know, I, I don't know at the time people, you know, a couple of people who knew what I was doing told me I was crazy, mm -hmm. but I didn't tell people for that reason. I, I didn't have an answer to what are you going to do with this thing and how are you managing it and how are you going to make money and you, are you going to quit your job? I didn't have any answer. So I didn't tell anyone. Yeah. And it just, it was just like a, this rolling ball that just gathered steam. Yeah, the need, I'm telling you, that need will cause all kinds of things. And um, I believe that once we release our words, um, that it will draw the people to our, uh, bring that, uh, the people to the energy because they're energy and it will bring them to assist them. Now, talk to me about, were, how did your family, um, your mom and dad, did they know that you were doing this? And how was that respond from them when they found out? Because here you are with your job, this professional woman hiding all of these things. How did 
that relationship work out? Well, when I finally told them, you know, my, my dad was worried about mm-hmm. me financially. Yeah. He, you know, he, he was a hard worker and, you know, he, he was very, um, in touch with common sense. <laughs> and uh, he seemed to think I was losing mine. So he was concerned. My mother, yeah. on the other hand, said, I don't know how you'll do it, but I know you'll figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that was a blessing. Yeah. So that's good. I, um, your mom, she seems to be the, the, the one, the stabilizer with, with, with that relationship, which is really cool because my mom was like that. She was like four feet tall and she, and my dad is six two and whatever, and she was the one that was yeah. running the show. So um, here you are. You've got this thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful vision that God has led you to because of the need. Um, and uh, you began to respond to it. How was it when you realized? I know you said that um, when you were bringing the people into, as they uh, began to. Uh, the need grew and you needed to expand. Talk to me about that because some of it, there's like apprehension and all of those other feelings that you have to deal with. How did you deal with it? Uh, was it so overwhelming that you just threw it? How did you manage that, Genevieve? It was very overwhelming and I had, I had to ask for help. I yeah. had to reconsider my job. I had to find a way to work part-time. Mm-hmm. I had to find a way to make what I was doing legal, you know, to, mm-hmm. to make it a nonprofit because yeah. people wanted mm-hmm. to help and yeah. I wanted to be responsible. So I had all of those questions and all those loose ends I had to, to tie up. And at the same yeah. time, I met a great guy who really got what I was doing mm-hmm. and he loved it and told me to follow my heart. But there were financial, you know, changes yeah. that had to be made there that affected him. And, and also I, I was a, a workaholic in my first career, and I certainly was a workaholic here because this was yeah. an incredible project to take on. So um, I was absent from the marriage in many ways because this was something that I felt compelled to do every day, all day, and lose sleep with through the night. Yeah. So it was it was not easy, but it was always joyful, and I always knew how much meaning it brought me of course but yes what i was giving what i was sharing yes. with these children that was you know maybe invisible but i felt it very very yeah. much yeah jesus said it's better to give than to receive talk to me about some of those children because what you're bringing there is no price tag for that when a child uh you sit down and and you're embracing that uh, person, that little one that has um, been damaged uh, due to some type of trauma from wherever it comes. Um, And I know some of those precious moments. Um, Bring us into some of those precious moments so that we can share some with, you can share some with us so that we can um, get a taste of what you are enjoying Yes, what you're doing. Tell us about some of the children. Well, I, I heard and saw um, some of the, the best and some of the worst, you know. And, yeah. and I, I saw just by witnessing how they looked when they were brought in, disheveled and, and you know, and, and soiled and crying yeah. and clearly um, not clean, that something had gone wrong, although I couldn't be sure they wouldn't tell me exactly what was going on in the household, Mm -hmm. but I could tell how traumatized they were. And, and they were traumatized too, because they were ripped away from the family that they just felt connected to, whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing, Mm -hmm. they were traumatized because now they were in the hands of strangers. And that was clearly um, frightening for them. And I, you know, I, I know that, the way some of these children were treated was uh, less than human and, you know, saw evidence of that and heard about that. And some of them didn't speak. And on the other side, 
I had, you know, little kids who would light up when I would bring them pajamas and mm-hmm. they wanted to hear story after story. And they were, um, you know, leaning on me and asking me questions and they felt the love. And yeah. when I would leave, they'd ask, can I bring shoes next time? Can I bring mm-hmm. this next time? You know, they were clearly, you know, excited yeah. and they're resilient, you know, and that doesn't mean that they aren't scarred. That doesn't mean that yeah. they're not going to deal with these challenges they've experienced early on later. But um, there were children that just dealt with it in, in different ways, you know, and, and I just tried tried to be comforting. And when they were allowed to lean on me to, yeah. you know, to embrace that, you know, it's tricky, you know, you go with what the mm-hmm. staff is comfortable with. So I wanted to grab them all and take them home, you know, <laughs> but I knew that I, I couldn't do that for all of them and I wanted to help more of them. So that wasn't an option. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How did it, all of that being around all of that, how did it begin to change you? What did it do to you uh, being this woman in the midst of this, seeing all of the pain, the trauma, seeing also the response and the um, the warmth that you would receive from the children as you began to hold them and talk with them. What did it do to you as a woman, as you being around all of this powerful emotional situation constantly all the time? Um, made me cry more um, physically and it made me mm-hmm. feel more made me more compassionate, made me more human, made me connect mm-hmm. on a deep level, not on a superficial level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my career, I wouldn't go so far as to say I was a robot, but I was a workaholic and it was mostly yeah. brain stuff to be in the right place, to say the right thing, to look the part, to want the promotion, to climb up that ladder, to be the best, to stand out. And all I wanted to do with the children was love them and, you know, hold them close and give them what was missing, fill that hole. Now, we're mm-hmm. talking about two very different people here. Yeah. I didn't know how deep I could go when I was climbing the corporate ladder. I didn't know how affected I would be by what I saw and what I heard mm-hmm. and what I experienced. I didn't know the me that was overspending on pajamas. I knew the me that was overspending on business suits. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know the over, you know, powering need I'd feel to rack up debt, yeah. buying every size of pajama and every <laughs> uh, pattern so that no yeah. child would be left out when I arrived. Yeah. It was just, and I was very aware of the change and I was very aware of the people in my life who changed and how I judged the people and myself in my mm-hmm. first career. Yeah how I judge them compared to the type and the, and the people that were, I was now surrounding myself with, yeah. you know, the, the people who serve and the people yeah. who were in that world, both sides helping and victims. Yeah. It is a powerful place to be. I, I'm familiar with some of that. Um, now, how did you, as you are in the midst of all of that and handling all of this great need and, expanding as well how did you then begin to move forward into the space of becoming and i could see it gravitating as far as a keynote speaker and stuff like that but talk to me as to the leadership because that is still a part of you as you are leading um, in this new venture how did you then begin to put it together that to formulate it into a program if you will for lack of a better word um so that you can impart the wisdom or your, the, all those things that you have gained as a leader all through your uh, professional life and your current life based on the question that was placed to you by yourself. How did you put this together? Right. Well, I've, I've always been, once people knew what I was doing and we started to grow, people wanted to hear the story, mm-hmm. wanted to know about the little girl, wanted to know why. And I started telling the story and it was an interesting story and people were touched by it. And that's what drew them to 
me first and then us when there was more of just me doing this. So mm-hmm. I found the power of the story. And more importantly, I found the power of finding your purpose and yeah. the human connection. Mm-hmm. And that's what's at the base of the success of pajama programs had. Yeah. When you find your purpose and you share it, mm-hmm. it's contagious. The, the support comes the joy is felt by everyone in your mm-hmm. sphere. It's an incredible um, transformation from one life to another life. And that transformation makes you a better leader, a more compassionate human being, mm-hmm. um, more in touch with your intuition, more in touch with, as I said before, being a global citizen and thinking about making a change for others. Mm-hmm. And all of that sort of gave me the tools to lead with those as my basic principles. Yeah. Together as, as a North Star. And when I look back, it was more of the military boss that I mm-hmm. grew up with. Yeah. And growing pajama program and hiring people, it, it was so important and it is so important today for everyone to understand your vision and for there to be some kind of thread between you all of, mm-hmm. of wanting to move forward with this vision and to have it own a piece of it and bring yourself to it that makes a successful organization, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, doesn't matter. Yeah. Every leader needs to share their purpose, their vision and find ways for everyone to feel part of it and to, mm-hmm. and to feel meaning when they arrive. Yeah. And to have, um, I know one of the challenges I'm sure that I know in healthcare, I was in healthcare and mm-hmm. uh, one of our, my responsibility was to hire people. And um, I remember uh, they would hire all the nurses and stuff like that and all the other healthcare people. And I would tell them, um, and I always did my presentation and tell people, this business will tell us who you are. If you're a servant or if you're here for the money and time will be the, the, the equalizer that will show us who's who, because those people that will be drawn to you and in a space like that need to be touched, need to be in touch with themselves so that they have that servant heart like yourself, and I'm sure as a leader, you're able to uh, translate some of that information to them to guide them in that space. So here you are, you're growing, it's expanding all over, and um, how did you come about this book? Where did it come from, and how did it uh, present to you through the, the thought process? Well, I wrote it because over the years, Many people asked for details of how I did it and why I did it. And they came to me asking for advice that, you know, they had an idea that they'd been living one life and they wanted to make a change. Could I help them? And I was always honest, you know, it's, it's not easy in mm-hmm. some cases. Some parts of it are easy and totally joyful. And when you, when you're going through it, you know, you, you always have your eye on that newfound purpose in your heart and that gets mm-hmm. you through. So I wanted to to just write it down, the stories, the good and the bad and the honesty and why and how and share it as, as a, you know, as a support tool for those who figure it's too hard. I don't know how yeah. everybody else who does it has some prior knowledge, has some tools and I had none. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say, I knew nothing. I listened to my my heart. I went somewhere. This is what happened. And somehow it ruled me. Yeah. And it just happened. And it can happen to you. And we all have a purpose. I absolutely believe that. And I told you on the onset of the program, I have that saying that I tell people, finding your purpose will make you purposeful. And it's a beautiful place to be. Those that have been listening to this wonderful, powerful story, um, I want you guys to go and purchase her book, Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas. That's a beautiful title. And um, 
now we see and we understand the purpose behind the pajamas. And so I want you guys to buy this book, give it to others so that they can enjoy it. We have uh, the uh, holidays are coming. Um, buy it as presents. Everyone, as Genevieve mentioned, every single person on this planet that has ever walked and is here ought to know what is their purpose. Without it, it's like being in a ship without a rudder. You don't know where you're going. But once you, a giant ship is moved to and fro by this little part that is back there, because it, that's how we are once you find your purpose. It, it has to be bigger than your current situation because it, your purpose, I tell people, has to be big enough to move you through the hard times and keep pushing you to the next step. Keep, here is a woman that got it done, guys, and I want you guys to get into her space, find out with her, partner with her so that she can assist you to find your purpose. Why can she do that? Because she has done it, and she knows the questions to ask you so that your time of hunting to find it is limited because she knows what to ask. And because she knows what to ask, it will shorten your time so that you can get to where you need to and find your purpose. Genevieve, thank you for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. Ken, thank you so much. I've so thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, we hope to continually help you to learn how to embrace moments of darkness because it is in the darkness that we learn how to develop and use our abilities to truly see those parts of ourselves often invisible to us in the light. It becomes your responsibility to navigate through all of your trial to find out who you truly are and begin your journey to loving yourself, which is possibly one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life. To love yourself and to find the real you, but always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for coming by. Please subscribe. And if you can support us financially, we deeply appreciate it. Until next time, invite your family, friends, neighbors, anyone that you can. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, and many more.